0: the homemakers club podcast the homemakers club is a sisterhood of women who value the old-fashioned ways and traditions of making a house a home as you listen in each week to conversation between myself and a fellow homemaker it is my hope that you'll feel as though we are old friends and you are stopping by my home for a long-standing weekly tradition of sweet tea and sweet conversation As good old friends do, we will celebrate the simplicities of ordinary days and come alongside one another to navigate the joys and hardships of homemaking. It is my prayer that when we say our goodbyes at the end of each episode, you leave with a heart that is enriched and filled with provision so that when you tie your apron strings each morning, you are joyfully ready to create a beautiful and fruitful life within your home. Grab a cup of tea and I'll meet you at the kitchen table. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. Today I have my friend Kristen. You can find her at Our Alaskan Legacy on Instagram. I'm so excited to have Kristen join me today because her and I have grown in our friendship Over the last several months on Instagram, which I think is just so special about the community that we're all a part of, because we get to join hands with one another as we embark on this beautiful journey that we call homemaking. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, friend. I'm so excited to be here. I hope it's all
1: a blessing.
0: I, I have no doubt because one thing that I absolutely love about you is that you share such rich wisdom with the women that follow you on uh, your Instagram account. You share beautiful photos that just embrace coziness and home with the aesthetic you share. Personally, I have been incredibly blessed by your words because everything you share is so thought-provoking. I leave your feed feeling like I'm equipped or enriched in my own journey within my home. And so I am personally just incredibly excited to take that one step further and and not just from your captions, but to hear your words today and then share them with so many women. So I'm just, I'm so grateful that you decided to join me for the podcast One thing I'd love to learn a little bit more about is your journey into becoming a homemaker and what that looked like maybe when you were younger, or is it something like a new development in your heart that you've wanted to carry forth into your home? Have you always had that calling? And then a little bit about what season you are in today with your homemaking journey.
1: Well, sure. Just, I guess, to introduce myself super briefly, my husband and I have been married about uh, 18 years now and spent 99% of our life up in Alaska. He's born and raised here. And I've been here since I was 10. So I've been here 26 plus years now, which is crazy to think about. And we have six children that range from 15 years old down to six months old. And Very full, very busy life, having everything from the teenage years down to the little diapers. So I guess like going back in my life, I was a military brat is the term. We moved across the country all over all the time and never had any stability. Home never really meant much to me until I spent good portions and good chunks of my life in my grandmother's home. And that's when I realized that home had a dynamic and that it was vibrant and living and alive. And the things that like drew me into homemaking were watching her make like, creamed cheese to pour over broccoli and bake, you know, streusel cake. And we had a really, really rich culture in my family heritage as a child, not in my personal home, but in my grandmother's home because they came from Czechoslovakia. And so there was always baking involved and tables with spreads of things for days on end and lots of crocheting blankets and really all the traditional homemaking things happening in my grandmother's home. And so I would often just crave being with her versus being in my very, you know, hectic, unstable type of lifestyle as a child moving from place to place. And I didn't really realize that that would become my desire. It wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child, the, my 15-year-old. I was working in an office. I was in office management. And I was pregnant and I thought, what's going to happen with my income? Are we going to keep this? Are we going to find a sitter? I just really didn't know. We had not really talked about that at all. And come, you know, birth of the baby and here she was this teeny little, you know, premature six week old baby. And I was on the verge of having to go back to work and I still had not set up any childcare and nor did I want to. And I reached out to my boss and asked if I could bring her in and in that six month process from the time she was like six months old until she was a year old there was a lot of changes happening in my heart about what was going to be my role in her little life and this little child as she was going to grow and how did I want my relationship with her and her future to look like what did I want that to look like. And when she was, I want to say 11 months old, I left the job, I came home and I've been home ever since. Um, And so it's been 15 years of homemaking and learning lots of things and going through lots of different seasons. But I really attribute all of my passion and my love for traditional homemaking to my grandmother.
0: I love that. Are there any skills that you have developed from her personally that you've carried forth into the legacy of your home? Um, Like whether it's baking or do you always want to have lots of food? My grandmother was the same way in the idea that she's always like eat, eat, eat. Like she just wanted to feed us and feed us well. Are there things as you've experienced your growth within your homemaking that you've been carrying on from that experience with your grandma?
1: I feel like there's a couple things that really stuck with me was the culture of her home as far as making home a beautiful place. You know, that era, they were very much into, you know, just tidiness and cleanliness and keeping things organized. And she very much kept everything very organized. I could see as she went about activities of preparing dinner or getting a dessert ready, that things were always where they should be. And there was no like chaos in the in the making of the process. And so the whole process of actually making the meal was very enjoyable because it was all at her fingertips. So I just really loved that about her. I felt very safe in that because I didn't have that in my own home. It was very, you know, turbulent. Whereas with her, you know, she had a lot of organization, you know, going into her home, very aesthetically pleasing, very, very, very pretty home. But I also just loved the way she put so much time and care into everything she made every meal she made. And then, it, you know, dinner always usually accompanied some kind of a dessert whenever we were visiting. And although my uh, grandmother wasn't able to spend a ton of time physically teaching me how to cook things, I took a lot of that visualization and watching her how to cook. And that became the fuel for me teaching myself to cook because my mother was not, I, I never ever considered my mother the traditional homemaker. And I don't really have that you know, lovely, peaceful history to my childhood upbringing. It was really my grandmother that rooted that love of home and homemaking into my life. And so it was the fuel to me learning how to cook in my early years of marriage and learning how to burn things and not burn things and, uh, and learning, you know, how to be brave and try new things, try baking bread on my own and sourdough and cooking from scratch is, you know, definitely like a thing I just love because it, I feel like I'm back there with my grandma.
0: That is really sweet. My grandmother, I'm my dad's mom. She always had food on her stove. She's this little Spanish woman and tiny little thing. And she made the best food ever. But all my memories of her are of her in the kitchen preparing food and then encouraging everyone to walk through her door to eat. Like Everything in her just wanted to make sure everyone who came into her home and at her table was nourished. And that is something that I've taken with me from that experience is like, she was the epitome of hospitality. She just cared her whole life was simply making sure that others were cared for. And that's something that I've carried um, from that experience with her. I, growing up, my mom and dad didn't bring people into our homes. So my dad was a phenomenal cook. He loves cooking. I learned a lot of cooking from him because I know what food's supposed to taste like because he's, Oh, good at it and what pairs well with why and what spices go well with each other and all of that I've learned the act of cooking from him especially but as far as the hospitality token I've learned it from my grandmother and then my husband's grandma is also extremely good at hospitality so it's funny how in our upbringings we can Pinpoint what we've set in our hearts for our journey of homemaking and then what parts didn't work well as well. And not that it was intentional, but it's just sweet how our seeds are sown into our heart as a homemaker. When you look back at the way you felt when you were with your grandma I think it's so beautiful because it wasn't just the thing she was doing and the preparedness and the cooking and all of that. It was I think the feeling of being cared for that sticks in our soul where we look back at the memories of home and where we felt the most comfortable and the most rest. and it's the the feeling that we get from that abundant love and action. And so I love that you're carrying that into your homemaking as well. That's just so special. What are some of the things that you do today that you think leave like a legacy within your home for homemaking? What do you hope to leave in the seeds that you're planting within the hearts of the people that are in your home and your children? For me, growing up, I
1: did not have a very connected relationship with my own mother. And so there are just a lot of little things for me that are really important, like, Ever since my children have been small, it's like getting down on their eye level. I very hardly, very rarely ever talk to my youngest children from a standing position. I'm usually squatting down or on a knee or both knees so that they're at eye level with me. And... That connectivity has them feeling like home is a place where it's not, you know, four walls and a roof. It's a connectivity, you know, between your roots, your mother, um, your father, your siblings is a place where you're safe and seen and loved. And so that is one thing that's really important to me is that connection with my my children. And that, you know, gets a little challenging as your kids grow in their teens. They don't always want that connectivity. You know, as their personalities like bloom, I still really, you know, try my best to be as Visually connected with my kids as possible so that that culture of, you know, nurturing them and connecting with them, I hope will carry them into their futures and whatever legacy the Lord has for them is that they were seen and they were valued and and their words had meaning in connecting with me. And then the other thing is I just really do love to put a lot of work into meals. And so when I am, you know, going by the seat of my pants, it actually like makes me really sad and distraught, like. Mealtime's not supposed to be like this. I want it to be, you know, more of me like giving up myself and trying to put time and energy into the meal because it really made so much of a difference in my upbringing when I would see my grandmother do that. I just remember so frequently being right there with her when she was doing it. I do remember though, she did not like me being on her counters. She always would pull up a chair and she didn't want me on the counters. She needed space and a place to be able to cook, but she wanted me there with her and let me watch her, you know, and even be involved in the cleanup. I've just tried to let the kids know that the kitchen is a place where they can even play and bring their toys and be right there, you know, And I have a galley kitchen, I don't have a very interesting setup for my home. And so even though like the broad space of my living area is all one big connected room, the dining room and the living room and the prep area, but then the actual like cooking area is like this galley. And so it's kind of like long and skinny. And it's not, you know, the best place to have little feet, you know, running to and fro weaving in and out, you know, as you're trying to cook over a stove. But I hope they always remember that little space and that they were welcome there. And sometimes they do a better job of that than other times. But for the most part, I love to have them scurrying around to create that culture of, you know, being seen and wanted and that they're a part of it they don't just live here but they're actually like connected to their home they're part of their home it makes such a difference to me because I felt that so much more deeply when I would visit my grandmother I felt like I was a part of her day part of her home and I just want my kids to know that when they leave here that culture is still bringing them back here they can always come home and and feel connected
0: that is so special. Do you all eat meals around the table as well? Is that something that you've incorporated as like a must, like a cornerstone within your home?
1: Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting how your upbringings can be so differently than, you know, what you do with your own family. You just kind of assume that it would be the same because, you know and that gives me hope too for my children like if there's things that I'm doing in my children's lives that they might not appreciate it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be concreted into their future so there's a lot of grace for that and which I am grateful for but for me growing up like the television was always on all day long, you know, from morning to night at TV dinner, you know, like, I remember always having TV trays, like, I very rarely recall, except for, you know, the big meals, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, like we pretty much were allowed to eat wherever we wanted to, but not at my grandmother's home. And at my grandmother's home, you had to ask to be excused. And it was actually, you know, she actually preferred you wait until everybody was done with their meal done eating and I don't ever remember rushing away from the table there was always this lingering you know after dinner chat with coffee a piece of pie or and there was always lingering around the table and usually she'd get up and tidy and wash things and come back and sit down again you know for round two of chats And we just didn't have it in my home. And so now we've raised our family to actually always have dinner at the dinner table. So that's been something that's really important to both of us, my husband and I, to always have dinner at the table. And. With nursing babies and things like I'm not always, I'm not always at the table. Sometimes the baby is eating, you know, (laughs) little one is nursing at the same time. And so I will often just kind of sit and then come back to the table when the baby's done eating. But I always try to be there as much as I'm able. And my family is always at the table together. So that's really important for us.
0: I love that. Part of the kind of the manifesto or the slogan for the Homemakers Club is sisterhood of women who value the old-fashioned ways and traditions of making a house a home. And I think that when I picture kind of those old-fashioned traditions, that's one of the ones that really point out to me in my heart and in my mind is that the gathering around the table, because it creates opportunity for so much more than just eating a meal and then being on our way. It, it, it creates an opportunity for open communication and that rest and being seen and wanted and heard. And so I think that a lot of the little things that we do within our homes really are actually quite magnificent. My mm-hmm. husband didn't grow up eating around the table. He kind of like you, it was just like, he grew up in a family with uh, five children. And so there's just, and cousins were always over. And so there's just lots of busyness around the home. And so they just kind of, mom would prepare the food, they would grab it and they would hurry because there wasn't a lot of food. And so like the boys would push forward, get their food so they could get their fill. And there wasn't like that cornerstone within their home. Whereas I was brought up where meals were around the table. And my mom was very, very crystal clear with me as to why we did that. And so when we got married, it was kind of a funny battle that – a lot of times we compromise or we make our way together. But that was one thing that my husband didn't understand. And so there was a little bit of pushback and I had to, honestly, I just had to kind of say, well, this is just what we're going to do. Like absolutely putting my foot down on this because this really is magnificently important to me. And I understand the value of open communication and a place to gather and rest every day over a meal. And so it's just funny how through uh, marriage and different upbringings, um, we have to understand what we want our home lives to look like. And that was one of the things that I definitely found value in. And we do that now and we wouldn't have it any other way. So with that, like with the cornerstone being the table of our home, and it sounds like the kitchen and the cooking together and the table with the lingering conversations, is there anything else that you can really pinpoint like an action to the magnitude of creating a fruitful life within your home? like? anything else specifically that you find great value in yeah so books
1: have always been a huge huge part of my mothering and our home countless books in every room really and I was quite despaired when my dad and mom's uh, dad and stepmom came to me and said you know for each of the children on their 13th birthday we'd like to invest in getting them an iPad because get technology has always been like a big kind of like a big no in our home just because I have so much loved that you know, children are become, their their creativity comes alive on, you know, through the pages of books. And the more books they read, the more creative my children became. And they were voracious. My teens were voracious readers. And that's kind of slowed over the, the last like year as they've learned to do other skills and they've, they've wanted to, uh, you know, that now that they have a daughter who actually wants to be an author and a portion of her lifestyle, she wants to incorporate that. And she's actually written a little mini series of her own. But I don't believe that she would have had that passion or the ability to do that if she'd not read so many books growing up. So one of the things that's really been very important to us as a family is reading to our children at night before bed. Multiple times throughout the day, honestly, especially when they were younger, before my children were really before homeschool began, it was more like, you know, let's touch the basic topics. I would read to them often throughout the day. And they just loved it. Like we would often bring cookies into my bed and we would have, you know, cups of tea or glass of milk on a little side table. And they would bring these massive stacks of books into my bed. And I took a couple pictures over the years of these, like, you know, mom, we read these. And it was like, you know, this mile high stack of books, but they just love books so much. And my little ones still like, you know, the ones that are at the six and under are still just always going to books. And my older ones are reading Jane Austen and trilogies of, you know, C.S. Lewis. And um, so, you know, reading at night before bed has always been super important to us. And now as like my teens are, you know, almost 16 and 13 years old. Sometimes we'll read. Sometimes we will play a board game together before they go to bed. But there's always connectivity. Before bed. And I don't recall that ever being a a dynamic in my home growing up. You know, I think it was just brush teeth, good night, have a hug. I think we said prayers on, you know, we might have said prayers together or we prayed before I went in the room. I'm not quite sure, but you know, so it was just kind of like this independent bed, you know, go to bed good night and you can read in bed if you want or whatnot. But that's never been the culture in our home. Our home has always been, you know, I tuck them into bed at night after we read a book. And so I like books are such a big piece of our family and a lot of very old books fill the corners of our house. <laughs>
0: I love that you mentioned the older books, because a lot of the older books have a lot of really beautiful foundational roots and something that I think is often overlooked in today's society and culture. And so the older Mm -hmm. books really are kind of a guide. And I didn't understand that for a long time. I just recently had a conversation with Jennifer Pepito, who wrote the Peaceful Press Curriculum when we were discussing how like the Little House on the Prairie series, those books, they really paint a vivid picture of a family culture and dynamic and the way in which we all play a part in that. And and I just think that that's incredibly powerful and to bring our children into the life of that through the things that we have conversations with them or the the roots that we're trying to build our foundation upon or is counterproductive, or I don't know the word, where it's uh, the Mm. opposite of Of the way that the world seems to be thinking is the normal nowadays. And so I think that the books we read and the things we listen to and the things we observe and the skills we are learning to acquire is kind of going on the opposite direction in building fruitful and productive homes the way that they were designed to be. So with the table being the cornerstone, and then you getting down on your knees to talk to your children eye to eye, and then sitting and reading books together, and you kept mentioning the word connectivity, and I was just curious, what do you think that that does to someone? As they grow older and they go out into the world or your husband leaving for work or even your friends or the women you encounter on a daily basis, when you make that intentional decision to make a connection with them in a, on a personal level, what do you think that does to the magnificence of their heart and then they carry it forth into the world?
1: For sure. I think it is like pivotal. And there have been years that that has been easier for me to incorporate than others, you know, specifically with like in my individual children, each just needing something different from me. You know, we've had to go through some occupational therapy with a couple of our kiddos. And so connectivity has always looked different for each one and now i'm finding that in these teenage years they may or may not always want to hear that you you know hear that you love them you know they they definitely do still want to have your attention like it really does bother my daughter a lot if i am not like actually stopping and looking at her when she's talking to me and we're kind of like going through a little bit of a health crisis right now with one of our kiddos and so i've been very distracted by phone calls doctor's appointments lots of things and so the second oldest has had to say are you paying attention are you interested in what i'm saying you know or just expressing frustration like never mind you're not interested and to me that that is paramount and very it's heartbreaking to me when any of my kids feel like I don't care or I'm not paying attention to things that they are valuable to them because I believe that that shapes their identity of self like their self-worth it affects their perceptions of how the world receives them or or could receive them and I think that acknowledging people and having that connection with people really edifies their worth their self-worth not just like corporately or in a group of people, but really like individually, it gives them like affirmations that are, make them not second guess themselves. Like I didn't get a lot of those affirming conversations with my mom growing up. And My husband was raised in a really kind of challenging situation. And so he's had a more critical eye that over the years, he's had to learn to buffer. And so those two things combined of, you know, his lack of connectivity and my lack of connectivity have made me kind of question my abilities in the kitchen, you know, like feeling important to you so that they feel like they can connect with you. And then it gives them stable feet to connect to things around them. And it gives them confidence to branch out and take risks that are healthy risks, you know, like trying new things and becoming brave and, you know, even confidence in groups that they might be a part of activities they take part in because they have that sense of connectivity to home and which edifies their self-worth and gives them courage to, to be themselves, you know, and not be afraid to just be who they are and be brave and experience new things and so for me connectivity is all about worth self-worth that my children would know that they're priceless valuable loved I see them they're heard and they're safe and, and trying my best even in these really really challenging you know seasons of life that we might be walking through that even, even my children that aren't walking through this health crisis are still so valuable to me. I just really am trying to do a better job of slowing down long enough to acknowledge them and make eye contact with them or hear the stories they're trying to tell me so that they feel seen and safe and loved too, even though they're not the ones walking through the challenge.
0: That's really good. How do you do that with your husband? Because oftentimes I think in our role within our homemaking, we tie that really, really strongly to motherhood. And then our husbands are there. And I know that like when my husband comes home from work, I've been home with my children all day. And so either I want to like talk a lot and have grown up conversation with him and he's just dealt with adults all day in the retail field, or I want a break and I just need to kind of self-isolate for a little bit to breathe because some days are harder than others when you're home full-time. How do you um, gauge that and how do you have that same availability and do you prioritize that connectivity with your husband as well?
1: So that is a whole new season of life that you know, being 18 years in marriage, you would think like we really do have this all figured out and to paint this lovely, beautiful picture. But in the real world, my husband and I have both had some a lot of hard, trying traumatic childhood experiences. And my husband actually lost both of his parents at a, you know, relatively long young age. So, you know, for me, connectivity with my husband looks like us learning to walk through different seasons of life that are challenging and helping each other grow through those things, not just allowing those challenges to separate us, but actually learning to walk through challenges together and get the support from each other or from outside, you know, counselors in ways that we needed. Like we're just going through a really challenging situation right now with our oldest daughter um, and her health. And quite a bit of that has been very depleting for our whole family very much on our marriage and very triggering for my husband in a lot of ways and so he has needed my encouragement to be able to find community and connectivity with somebody who can actually help him walk through those hard things so that we can still have a healthy dynamic in our home because I think sometimes like You know, these little speed bumps and bumps along the way and families can sometimes make you feel like, you know, your family, family life is failing, but I feel like what is most important going through challenging situations to sustain healthy dynamic in your home is to actually acknowledge that there is a hard season, acknowledge that you're going through a rough patch, whether it be with your husband or your children or health or finances, or, you know, just acknowledging things is a huge piece of healing and move f- forward, moving motion. And so that's a big piece of kind of what we're doing to stay connected is to just acknowledge that things are hard right now. And that sometimes, you know, I don't have all the answers to the things that are hard for him, but me encouraging him to get get a li- good listening healthy listening ear so that he can have the tools that he needs in his toolbox to you know stay in a healthy frame of mind when he's in the home i mean cuz husbands work hard outside the home and then they get home and they're you know either mentally physically or both exhausted and I've always had this, you know, tidy up nature in mind where right before husband gets home, you know, you could wipe the strawberry jam off of your little one's cheeks and you might fix some ponytails. And, you know, you're going around tidying mm-hmm. up the last minute things. You might make a cup of coffee for your husband if that's something that he's interested in. And that's always kind of been something that I really wanted to continue doing. And this season of life is just not allowing a lot of that for us. And so, you know, I feel like if we acknowledge that we're not always the answers to the situations in our marriage and and acknowledging them and growing through them, then we still can hold very tightly to the dynamics that are important to us. And our children still feel very safe within those routines and schedules and culture that you've spent so long creating that even though there's challenges and hard times, that family is still staying together, that family is family and you're moving forward through the hard things together.
0: That's really powerful. And I think it's incredibly powerful to acknowledge the idea that it's just a season. And I think that there's freedom when you claim that it's a season, not your, your actual home life. And it's going to last like this forever. Like once you've made that emotional, decision to say, you know what, this is a season and then we're going to find the tools in which we need to get through this season. And some seasons are beautiful and they're abundant and you feel like everything is just wonderful. And then other seasons, like you're praying for your marriage to even survive. It is not an easy thing to do, but it is incredibly life-giving when you can Put that title to it is this is just a season and just like gardening season where you have your tools that you're going to prepare your garden and you're going to plant the seeds and you're going to water and you're going to nurture and you're going to fertilize you're going to do all of the things to watch your garden grow and then you have a, a harvest at the end of that and I think that that's so beautifully tied to the idea of homemaking and motherhood and marriage as well as that some seasons all require work and some less than others and some you get to rest like this season often we tie to rest is after Christmas and the new year and you're waiting for the spring season and you get a rest and others are incredibly hard do you have tools that you lean on during the hard seasons whether it's the bible or books where do you go for your own heart to um power through and kind of as a gatekeeper within your home so you can like you said like you point your husband to different places if you don't have the answers where do you go to become encouraged and equipped for the hard seasons
1: The first thing that usually gets hit when I'm busy, like I am right now, and we're going through a tough situation, that's going to take quite some time to kind of get through. And as we go through, we're going to have to kind of learn a new normal for our family. But the first thing that usually gets hit in situations like this is my quiet morning time when I spend time in the word. And I just, it's a, it's a way that I begin the day through my gratitude journal I've been doing that since my oldest was like five years old and reading a thousand gifts by Ann Boskamp and just recently as we've been going through this hard season um, you know there's been quite a few missed days in that gratitude journaling time in the morning because I'll usually you know go through and write good 10 good quality you know pieces of gratitude things that i'm acknowledging that i'm just so grateful for and that helps to me to reset my thinking and that yes there might be 1000 hard things and yes there's been a lot of tears shed and we seem to barely be taking baby steps forward there are still things that are still so good, you know, and as long as we can find those glimmers of light and cling to the things that are still around us that are still so lovely and, you know, worthy of praise, you know, thinking on thoughts that are pure and good. And so the thing that really important to me is the thing that usually gets hit the most. And that's my ability to spend time in the morning being quiet Mm -hmm. and reading something, you know, Usually I'll read some from the Bible and then I'll read from a book that I'm reading right now. I'm reading Waymaker by Ann Voskamp, which is really applicable for this hard season of life that I'm going through. But any form of quiet time in the morning when I can spend time, you know, writing, I usually will write out a prayer to the Lord, just like acknowledging where I'm at things I'm going through. It's kind of like a brain dump to start the day, just get it all out of my head in a prayer to the Lord. And I'll write that out to him. And then I'll um, spend, you know, the next few minutes, just journaling a in my gratitude journal and drinking always something hot, whether it's a cup of tea or coffee and just slow. I enter the morning as slowly as I can with quiet house. And so that kind of begins the night before with a clean cleaned up kitchen so that I don't have to come out in the morning to a sink full of dishes and the coffee maker, you know, I need to, you know, wash my favorite cup or whatnot. So I try to get that all set up the night before so I can, you know, start the day peacefully. And I always light a candle in the morning to just kind of get that ambiance of light, like, you know, for me, light is very triggering, like it's a very hopeful thing to see something flickering in the distance. Like we're getting, we're going through this, we're getting through. And so candles part of my morning for sure is lighting the candle and reading the Bible and going through my gratitude.
0: So speaking of the books, I discovered earlier that you actually have published a book called Tapestry of Grace. Because this fits right in with the idea of um, reflection and journaling and self opportunity for self growth and reflection. And so I was wondering, could you tell us before we wrap this up a little bit about your book called Tapestry of Grace that I'll include the link in the podcast notes as well?
1: Sure. At the beginning of COVID, when everyone was super isolated and just needing connectivity, another (laughs) way of putting that in there, I was a part or am a part rather of Hope Writers group. And I thought, you know, yes, I knew I was going to write a book of my own. And my goal was to get that published. But I just really felt like the Lord was leading me to create more connectivity in this season of life when everyone was feeling so isolated. And so I reached out and asked if there might be a handful of ladies that might like to take part in a writing project with me. And we ended up meeting over Zoom over a period of months, and the project came together really beautifully. And we wrote a 90-day devotional called Tapestry of Grace. I had 13 pieces represented in the book, and then each of my writers that joined the guild each wrote 11 devotionals for themselves. And so they're all in there in a very fluid way to move through the book. And they're all experiential stories of how the Lord has woven his faithfulness through the tapestries of our, of our experience, of our lives, and how he's been faithful through the different seasons we've walked through with children, with marriage, with home life, careers, just our journeys, and how he's always weaving together a tapestry of grace.
0: That's really beautiful. I can't wait to get that for myself. I think a lot of times reading other women's stories, whether it's through Instagram or through a book like what you've written with these ladies, it really creates this heart of relatability and comfort knowing that we're not alone in this journey and that we can find wisdom through other women's experiences or just like hope that we can get through the rough seasons. And I think that that's so special that you and your friends in this guild wrote this for women to be blessed by. Um, I think that this is going to be such a beautiful encouragement for so many women within the homemaking community, as well as this conversation. So I encourage that the women from the Homemakers Club and the women that come to this podcast to go look up your book and also your Instagram account because the things you share are so beautiful and so passionate and powerful and you walk along the journey with everyone who comes to your your home. Really, you invite women into your home and so I just want to thank you for that and thank you for joining me on the podcast, Kristen. Thank you
1: so much. It's been an honor. You've just been a joy and your community is incredibly life-giving. So I'm grateful that you were obedient to the call.
0: Thank you so much. Thank y'all for being here and for the work you are doing within your homes and sharing home with the world. I believe with my whole heart that every day, the more we share home and the art of homemaking, we are upholding the way in which home was intended to be productive, fruitful, and beautiful. Though your days may seem ordinary, little by little you are building something quite extraordinary. Keep up the good work, my friends. If you haven't already, I encourage you to join our sisterhood on Instagram at We Are The Homemakers for daily encouragement and fellowship. And of course, subscribe here as well. We Are The Homemakers Gathered for Good. See y'all next week.